There's a list. There's uh, a list. And uh, we're not going through life listless. Yeah, yeah. There's a list, and it's a very short short one, which means we're going to be here for two hours. Um, Good. Right. Uh, you know, so, anyways. You say that uh, like it's a problem. <laughs> uh, does anybody, uh, uh, I, I think we started, I don't know. I think we started and didn't even realize it. Um, yeah, five minutes ago. Five minutes well, ago, we, we started recording uh, some time ago. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think people are hearing us right now. Believe it or not, and well, and I think uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is our, our buddy Fred Johnson um, and his videos. Um, I've been mentioning him a lot lately, and I don't know why that suddenly changed because I've been watching his videos off and on for years now. He's been doing this, you yeah. know, for I mean upwards of 10 years i remember he used to come into the uh when we were doing the newspaper together and uh-huh. one of the things he'd be doing his you know we all had little side projects in addition to our newspaper work and for him he was one of the earliest people playing around with video cameras i mean back in the you know probably the earlier days of even youtube um he was shooting video and he'd make he'd edit these little videos on the spot he was a real early adopter of 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 uh consumer grade if you will um video editing stuff and so he'd shoot videos all around oshkosh not only of the airplanes but of us remember he used to do uh, at the party we'd hold at the right. end of the week right um, at, at uh barbs at, at barbs um and and he'd play a video of uh of uh you know the, week, of the, the week. week week in review yeah in, include not only the show but also little snippets of of the uh, of the newspaper staff and uh, things that we had done throughout the week. So he's been doing this for a long time, and uh, and it kind of somewhere along the line or gradually or intentionally or something I don't know grew into this uh, this this little uh, YouTube channel, big YouTube channel, medium to big YouTube channel that he's running called um, called uh, Air Rail. Oh no, I'm Air Rail Images. Images. Air Rail Images, um, and uh, um, and I've you know always been checking them out and for some reason i'm checking them out a lot more recently my train's about to go by here's my train yeah for for listeners who are yeah for <laughs> listeners not in the no- <laughs> i'll explain the train yeah right for listeners who are not familiar i'll explain the train in a couple of minutes um so uh fred's videos uh fred posted a video recently that really caught my attention um um, after he was at Sun and Fun, and sadly we didn't get face to face with him, but I saw a bunch of interesting videos he posted from Sun and Fun. And one of the places he went after Sun and Fun was to Chino Airport here in California, where they have a Warbird. Two- it's a twofer. And uh, he went to Chino, where they have this uh, Warbirds uh, fly-in showcase thing, and he was posting all these great pictures of uh, Warbirds uh, there at the Chino show. And uh, this particular, he posted about a half a dozen videos from there. The one that really caught my attention was the one that I've given you guys a link to, and uh, I will uh, will obviously put it in the show notes. Um, a bunch of interesting airplanes, two of two models of note. One is this weird flying wing. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this video. Oh, the Northrop flying wing? Is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, really? Is that the flying wing that dropped the oh, bomb yeah, on yeah. the Martians? Um, no. 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 Okay. But anyway, so it's because it looked relatively small, like maybe two seater. It's a one It's a single seater. Yeah. It's yeah. single seater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so a, they not only uh, had one, one of these taxiing around at this show, but they actually showed it in the air flying, and uh, and that was kind of cool. So yeah, that caught a, my attention. It, it was a prototype. Okay. And, uh, I mean, so literally this is the only one that exists. 
The only one of that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, it's there, and it's actually flying. Was it the... And, and as I'm the, sitting here watching this video marveling over this flying wing, all right, I suddenly see this shot where he pans across, parked on the ramp, not one, not two, not three, but four P-38 Lightnings, all right? Oh, wow. And um, he's got and, some great uh, footage of them, too, of them yeah. taking off and flying. And I actually, you know, I, and then later in the video, we see, I believe, two of them flying. And then in other videos, I think we saw three of them flying. And according to, I, I actually corresponded with uh, Fred, and he said that, in fact, all four of them are airworthy. And there's a fifth one on the field undergoing restoration. Um, so, uh, you know, we were talking about this in an episode somewhat recently, wondering how many uh, lightnings are, are still around. And uh, uh, and my friend here is ca- is saying four. We'll talk about. I'll ask him about that later on. So many, so many teaser mysteries on this episode. Oh, cool. Uh, we'll we'll see if I remember to get back to all of them. That's the question. So uh, it was a cool video. Um, all of the videos that he put up there from uh, yeah, this, this is some really good stuff. The, he sent us a link to. Uh, oh uh, yeah, he sent us another five, link, didn't he? Yeah, Tell us five, about that. Ah, uh, you're gonna make me go look it up. I can't tell you about it let me find but, it uh, and but to remember what the subject was that's what i mean um it was uh he somehow got is. directed to a somewhat i guess it's kind of common knowledge although i'd never heard well, of it called the call to play star wars valley yeah right. it's this valley right. in where's, i don't know where it is southern california or nevada or something like that where they uh uh these combat aircraft on training missions are all flying down a valley below the level where the photographers are standing Mm-hmm. Which is an unusual perspective for shooting video and and still photography of uh, airplanes flying. Uh, I, usually, we're looking at, at best sideways at them and usually up. And to find this spot where they're running regular training missions uh, below the grade level where the photography people are standing is uh, yeah pretty interesting. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, hornets and warthogs, right. Yeah, right and, and, they, and they are they are turning and burning and, they yeah, are it yeah. you know i mean it, it actually i'm I, I guess maybe i'm naive here because it it looks kind of crazy dangerous i mean i was a little bit surprised that the government lets a lets these pilots do this and Camera b lets them do it deceiving let them that. do it dude that's their mission on that's those training mission. runs this is i guess this, not this let is, them do it this, this is, is sanctioned this practice is what, yeah. right this is what you're going to go out and do today because sometimes in real combat that's what they have to go out and do yeah i guess i i mean yes i understand and you're, you're i'm sur- sure you're right but it just you know and and <laughs> and, and as jeb alludes to you know it, it, it may may not be quite as close to the canyon walls as it looks but uh i don't, um, I don't think yeah. it is that close um yeah, yeah. long lenses have a yeah. tendency to compress the view a little bit right yeah but it's pretty dramatic footage it's kind of cool it's and, still uh, dramatic footage and the view from the cockpit's got to be stunning oh yeah yeah i know i i'm surprised we haven't seen video of that maybe we have over the years probably and didn't yeah. realize it. if yeah. we you know search youtube for it it's probably there yeah yeah, it's uh, very rem- the, the the footage was very reminiscent of some of the footage from the Top Gun movie. Um, yes, you know, um, you see a lot of that kind of stuff in the Top Gun movie of them flying in amongst the hills like that, or up and down the canyons. And uh, I, and and in that case, you know, I either figured it was either some sort of camera magic or a very special case that they got to film the movie. But as we see from this uh, aerial images video, they apparently do it 
you know, fairly often. Uh, because people, Fred wasn't alone there. There was a crowd no, of people was, on this little. There was a crowd of people, yeah. yeah. This is so a, apparently this is this, obviously a well-known spot, or, yeah. or at least well-known to shooters. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, very cool. Um, if you're uh, if you're at all a uh, you know fascinated by watching airplanes and I, I'm kind of com- coming to think of aerial images of Fred's channel as being kind of uh, online plane spotting right if you you know like standing out and watching airplanes fly by you know um, but are unable to get to many exotic locations you should s- subscribe to aerial images and uh, and uh, and he'll do the do the hard part for you and, it's, and, it's and he's gotten some really good what's that plane porn plain porn yeah that's what it is plain porn um and by the way it, the name comes from aerial images um it, and it's actually spelled funny it's all one word it's air a i r a i l images as in air and rail images because it's actually mostly aviation from my experience but fred also collects pictures of trains uh as well and so you'll see the uh, aviation stuff interspersed with the occasional video that shows various uh heavy metal train i don't know what that means exactly but uh big big freight trains passing by he collects those kinds of shots as well aerial images on youtube it's fun it's fun and he's a friend of ours uh i guess there's nothing else to say at this point but welcome folks to uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast i'm jack hodgson coming to you from uh from from will and cat hawkins world famous lucky star tiki bar in Menlo Park, California, uh, where I'm out slash here. Slash RV park. <laughs> slash RV park. It's not unlike Hidden River in this regard. All right, it, it has it has many many characterizations. It's the, and, it's and, the home for wayward pilots west. Yeah, it is. It is. All right, so I'm going to do this. Th- although we're not quite ready to talk to him yet, I'm going to do this thing that we tr- tested before before the we started recording, and I'm pretty sure it's still going to work. So uh, let's see. Now people probably won't even notice this, but there we go. Um, so, uh, um, you're going to give me a thumbs up that you're hearing, uh, Jeb or Dave, please say something for a moment. Something for a moment. And okay. something right. for a second moment. All right. So before we get to what I just prepped for, let me say that, uh, so I am uh, here in Menlo Park and, uh, visiting with some friends, but also visiting, uh, in our virtual hangar with two of my very, very good friends, uh, in, uh, and, uh, to here this morning to talk about airplanes. Uh, one of those voices out there is from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing this morning? Doing lovely. Doing lovely. We got a nice bright sunny day there to get the weather out of the way and, uh, grass getting big enough i'm gonna to have to cut it again uh lots of work dogs healthy uh motorcycles running good making progress on the airplane all is well it sounds like it is all well that's great congratulations and uh yeah so uh do you do you get out a lot doing the motorcycle thing these days don't you uh it's as often as possible uh i got out last saturday uh to uh, shake it down a little bit it had been a couple of weeks since well been a week since my last uh, outing on it and i had to cut it short uh and uh needed new motorcycle boots the old ones were starting to fall apart so i headed out to a place uh here in wichita that's uh, exclusively a boot store and uh found some uh motorcycle boots that the uh that the feet like and mm-hmm. then uh sunday I made a ride about 40 miles from uh, Wichita, a little town called Potwin, P-O-T-W-I-N, where they have a monthly uh, rally. 
had a nice uh, breakfast fixed up by the local Kiwanis, looked at some really old motorcycles, like 19 teen Harleys and Indians, and wow. uh, visited with some of the other bikers and, and had a nice, uh, easy ride home. Cool. Just cool. live in La Vida Loca. I know, huh? I know. And also visiting us, uh, talking with us here in our virtual hangar is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing this morning? I am spiffy. I, I hear it's going to rain there. I, I mean, it's, I'm kind of not kidding. Been, it's been raining. Um, yeah. The, 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 it was started, in the news. That, it started yeah. like Sunday or Monday. It, it, we've been as dry as we've ever been. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's welcome in some respects. Um I still had some things planned to be doing outside earlier in the week, and it rained all day Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I canceled those plans and moved on to other stuff and thinking, well, it's going to – and the forecast was rain all week. Um, so Tuesday morning I wake up with all, a bunch of inside stuff planned, and it's clear as a bell and stayed that yeah, way most of, course. of the day. You know, of course, of course. Yeah. So, so. You know, th- that is my life. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, little little uh, little uh, violin little, playing uh, right here. Uh, okay. Yes, yes, yeah. I understand completely. I know. Although I shouldn't talk, I'm in California right now for a week, so uh, I'm doing just fine as well. Um, and uh, let's see now. So, uh, what else is going on? I guess we, so. Follow ups. Um, so follow there's ups. a follow up I wanted to, uh, and the reason we did this weird technical thing, um, and it's not on the list, you guys. So I apologize about that because I just heard about it as we started recording. Um, so as I said, I'm sitting in in Will Hawkins uh, Tiki Bar here with the trains going back, and it's it's rush hour. Maybe this isn't the. It's you got to understand. We record this was, these days. I was, te- just, I was just thinking to myself, what time is it? Oh yeah, it's seven thirty. Yeah, no right. Wonder. Exactly. It's a. So I muted one. Uh, this one I'm not going to be able to mute because it's hey, already here. It is. Yeah. Hey, it's five thirty. Somewhere in Europe. Yeah. So we've gotten into the routine these days of recording the podcast at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning, East Coast time. And that seems to be working pretty well so far, so good. Um, but now I'm visiting California, and uh, 10 o'clock East Coast time is 7 o'clock uh, California time. And uh, although I'm fine being up at this hour, I hadn't realized that there's like there are a lot of trains going back. I like the trains, but anyways, that may be some, the the episode title may have something to do with that. Um, here with Will Hawkins, and Will is, and although Will is not officially a guest on the podcast, um, and uh, he uh, he he's it's his bar, so he's <laughs> sitting here drinking his coffee, and he can pretty much do. Anything he wants. Reading the news, um, and uh, and and as as he and I were chatting before we got on the phone together, um, he told me something that that is I think is kind of interesting. I think you guys might find interesting. You'll recall um, a couple episodes back, or actually a couple times in a few episodes recently, we've talked about that that thing where the C one thirty landed on the aircraft carrier, landed and or took off from the aircraft carrier. Well, right. had to do um, both. Yeah. Well. <laughs> You, you know, there are big cranes, but yeah, probably did both. Yeah, um, but did no cranes out at sea. Right. And then we had a follow-up from a listener who uh, told us that he had met, I believe it was the pilot of that airplane, um, and, and told us a little bit about that story. Um, and then this morning, Will and I were chatting, and he said, and, and we, Will's been on the podcast in the past and told us a lot about his grandfather, um, who was a, 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 a legendary designer, developer, engineer, leader um, at, uh, at Lockheed, right? Um, and, uh, and so we've heard a lot of those stories. Well, it turns out that Will's grandfather was correct me if I'm wrong, Will, was present on the aircraft carrier sure that was. day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Now, Will and I, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an excuse here. Will and I, 
this is a very, very friendly thing we're doing here. I, <laughs> Will, because Will wasn't planning to be on the podcast, we hadn't really set him up. So Will and I are sharing both a microphone and one pair of earpods. Okay. <laughs> So it's very much like, you know, the, the couple that you see on the subway listening to the music together. I, you know, it's like Will and I are best buds here at BFS. Somebody right? take a picture. <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, um, and we're also working with a microphone that's very directional. So I'm going to have to twist this microphone in order to uh, for, for Will to be heard. So after all that preamble and making all excuses, oh, hey, Will's kind of taking a selfie here. All right, there we go. The, the, all right. The we sacrifices go. we make for our art. Did you get it? All right. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to twist the microphone away from me and towards Will. So, um, um, Will, your grandfather was, all kidding aside, your grandfather was present <clears throat> on that. What do you know about that? So he told me the story about that, and he, uh, he was present on that. And as far as what he told me, and... <laughs> Sometimes his tails were a little tall, but um, he was there. Um, as far as I understood, there was no intention for them to ever create a, a variant of the C-130 that would regularly go off of aircraft carriers. But instead, um, what they wanted to do was really show the brass, you know, the, the, the powers that be, what this airplane was capable of. So that was kind of a... A publicity stunt, if you will, for the, the inside. It was all top secret until not until it was released several years ago. But um, that air, so that particular C one hundred and thirty landed on that aircraft carrier, and I can't remember which carrier it was. Was it the Washington or the Georgia? I can't remember. Not sure. Um, without arresting gear, there was zero arresting gear, and then it backed up and took off without any catapult. Really? And that was train. <laughs> and that was this. That was say, kind of one of those what, things. And yes. go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say say what you said again because the train blocked. Okay. So yeah, it, it it landed without any arresting gear, so it landed completely natural, um, and then took off. Uh, and I don't think I think they did it more than once too. I think they did it a few times, um, but it took off without a catapult or anything. It was completely under its own power, and then the and of course the wind in which the carrier, you know, commands. Right. right. So well, and um, since since it didn't need to use or it wasn't going to use a catapult, it also had the benefit of the full length of the uh, flight deck. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but again, you, it was just it was just a. You, oh, you want to see a short field landing aircraft? Here we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to land it on this little quarter, you know, quarter mile patch of concrete in the middle yeah. of the ocean. Will and, did any, uh, of your, any of your conversations with your grandfather reveal uh, about this? Reveal how much wind he thought might have been over the deck. Um, I'm going to guess. Uh, I, I know that some of those carriers can can cruise at about 35 knots, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Straight ahead. So if you're if you got a te- you know probably I would imagine forty knots going over that deck or something like that. Yeah, I you would know? think. Uh, but no, I didn't get any of the details other than just it was uh, it was really just kind of a look what we can do. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and of course, you also have the luxury of being able to aim the wind straight down the quote yeah. unquote runway, which is a good thing as you well. Own the yeah. wind, as it were. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. I heard that on the podcast. And I was like, hey, I, I know a little bit about that. So yeah, I love I love that clip. And the other thing that I told Jack today, and, and somewhere, and, and maybe before he leaves, or I'll scan it when I find it, I found a pamphlet or a booklet that Lockheed created for the you know for internal purposes only, and on the front cover of this thing. Um, and it goes on to explain inside the book what they were thinking about doing. Is there's this computer rendering of a C-130 with floats? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? 
And so they were honestly thinking about, can we put a C-130 on floats? I don't believe they ever did it, uh, but uh, but there were certainly a lot of uh, artist renderings of such things. <laughs> it's kind of neat. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yep. That's great. The... Uh, the uh, the Lucky Star Tiki Bar that we're sitting in here um, is decorated in uh, a very military. Uh, uh, I mean, in addition to being tiki, it's very military. Um, and one of the walls is, has a wonderful memorial for a me- number of Will's family members, including um, his grandfather. And uh, so, uh, you know, this is a, a cool spot. And uh, and your grandfather was was quite the guy. Sorry, I never got to meet him, but uh, he, he passed long. Before, I probably. 2004, when, yeah. 2004, so before we even started this podcast and before, long before I met you. Anyways, thank you, Will. That's awesome. Sure. That's awesome. Now, wait, wasn't there something else? Didn't during the intros I say, oh, yeah, we'll come back to that, too? And uh, I can't remember what that might have been. So, anyways. All right. All right. Um, well, this is kind of working, and I'm going to let Will continue to listen in for as long as he chooses to listen in. But uh, um, that's great. Did you guys have any other questions for Will about that whole thing? Nothing comes to mind. Okay. Okay. I was, I was going to mention the the P38s. Last time I heard, there were four flying. Yeah, it's exciting that they're getting another one going. Uh, but uh, Grandpa was um, on that project as well. I have a picture of him with a with a I don't know probably a third scale model of a P38 in a wind tunnel. I believe at Michigan. I think the Michigan had the largest. Their University of Michigan had the largest wind tunnel at the time, and that's huh. where they did their testing huh. on several airplanes. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Will. And thank you for having me here. I, oh, it's always a blast. Always I, I, love, I love it here. Um, let's see now. Uh, on a much more serious note, um, the NTS, I think it was the NTSB, published this press release or this announcement um, uh, just recently um, how they've discovered more about the uh, Embry Riddle Cherokee um, crash. Did you, have you guys seen that note? Yeah, I'm looking at it now on AvWeb. Mary Grady wrote it. So, yeah, when we when we if I'm reading it correctly, um, when when we talked about this, we commented that a big a big factor would be if they found a crack in another one of the airplanes. Right. And apparently, they did, right. and that's what that's what this is about. Apparently, is it? Um, they they found a crack of what seems to a layman like me to be a relatively small crack, but I guess any crack's a big crack. Um, any crack is a big crack. Yeah. And uh, and and from what I read, and you guys read these things with a much more sophisticated eye than I do, but they they found this crack. Um, they removed the wing. They went put the wing, um, and I guess probably particularly the spar, through a very very uh, 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 fairly sophisticated sensor kind of thing where they put a gadget on it to send magnetism through it and see whether or not they can see invisible cracks and stuff like that. And and if I'm reading that right, they they didn't discover anything beyond the visible crack, um, and so they apparently did whatever you do to repair these things and ascent, and put the wing back on. And but having found a second one seems to me to be a big deal. Is it is it a big deal? I don't know. Well, I'm just going to say it's it it it, it kind of is uh, yeah. because this was an arrow, a Piper arrow, where they found this crack and. Uh, also being used exclusively in a training environment with uh, a, a similar number of uh, airframe hours and flight cycles as the aircraft that uh, broke up in flight. Uh, so I imagine this is going to send the FAA uh, out to write a, uh, a an inspection order on pretty short time frame uh, for other Cherokees and arrows that have this kind of time on them because uh, 
it doesn't sound like much, a 40 thousandths of an inch long and 40 thousandths of an inch deep. But that's that's how breakups start, is yeah. with a failure someplace, a, a crack someplace. It propagates, and suddenly it doesn't hold anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's confirmation uh, that they found uh, a crack in another airplane. It's confirmation that there's um, that this is a, a, a possibility in these aircraft. So the other, the other part of the story here is they're developing uh, these inspection procedures. So I would guess that you're going to see uh, at least a service bulletin come out from Piper, probably an AD from the FAA, to do these inspections after you know, 5,000 hours or, you know, uh, uh, 20,000 landings or something like that. I don't know. But that's that certainly seems to be where they're headed with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, but, yeah, because that's, that's a pretty big is. fleet. This is, yeah. But, I mean, if it's a, you know, yeah, Amber Riddle's in. Hang on a second. Another thing going go on here, too, is is uh, the, the, uh, the accident airplane, the one we talked about, um, I think his last episode, the one that has, has generated all this, was a fairly new airplane. It was, it was built in 2007. It was 11 years old. And mm-hmm. um, it had you know, almost 8,000 hours on it. But, you know, that's, that's the utilization rate. Right. Um, so what will they find? Will they, will they find that maybe the 07 airplanes are built differently than the, say, the, the, the 1977 airplanes? Will all models of these aircraft have to undergo these kinds of inspections? Will it be based on age? Will it be based on hours or just by type? Who knows? Yeah. Um, Embry-Riddle is, you know, I'm embarrassed I don't know this more correctly, but it's in Florida. Um, yes. Well, in Arizona also. Okay, but the accident airplanes and these cracked wing airplanes are in Florida. Am I right about that? Obviously, the first one was. Uh, it's uh-huh. not clear um, that the second one was. I'm not, it's not even. Is it even clear that it was an Embry Riddle airplane? I thought that's what I read. I'll go back. I'm looking at something else right now. But um, and uh, well, and it's, it's worth noting here that. The uh, safety board uh, inspected nine, or there were nine other uh, yes. Piper uh, arrows inspected in the uh, Embry Riddle fleet using the uh, standard eddy current inspection techniques. And the inspections were done under NTSB supervision, and no crack indications were detected in those inspections. Uh, so. Well, uh, hang on here, Sal. There's yeah, a distinction. You know, I, There's a distinction here. It does not say that the additional inspected aircraft were Embry-Riddle aircraft. You're correct. You're absolutely right. I just noticed that myself. I was reading this more carefully, and it does not say that. So, okay. Right, so maybe we shouldn't jump to too many conclusions here. But finding a second crack, who regardless where it is, is a thing. And uh, and uh, um, what I was tr- what I was getting at, and it may not be relevant, but what I was getting at is the question of whether or not um, Embry Riddle operating these aircraft in a more than average, more than usual um, salty environment, salt air environment. Um, perhaps um, was a factor here, um, but but 
I don't well, know if we if, know anything if, about if that. If it was corrosion, you'd be, you know, you'd be likely on the money. But this, the, nothing about this has mentioned corrosion. It's mentioned that's that's uh, correct. Cracks, yeah, and stress related. The uh, original uh, NTSB prelim and the one that a lot of people are citing notes that these were fatigue cracks. Yeah, and and. Uh, the word corrosion was certainly used, but it was basically a you know, minimal corrosion was found right. in the wings. Right. Um, but, you know, there's an old wives' tale that says um, flying the airplane cures a lot of ills. And, and one of the reasons um, for that saying is you fly the airplane, you get air moving through the, the, uh, the airframe, you get... Uh, um, um, fresh air moving through, things get dried out, um, as opposed to an airplane that just sits and doesn't get air moving through it to take out some moisture and, and uh, uh, kind of clean out the airframe every now and then. It's not surprising to me that even aircraft that are that are operated in a potentially high corrosion environment would not have any corrosion if they're flown that often. Okay. All right. Which sort of led me to my my yeah. last my next question, which was whether or not you take any special care, given that you live in one of these kinds of environments. No, um, is, the, is the quick answer. Um, I'm not that close to the salt air. Yeah. For, for Although the, you were for a while, other. what for like a year I, or so? I you was based for a year, Venice. and yeah. and um, the airplane was was parked outside for I don't know, um, at least a couple of weeks once at Sarasota. Sarasota SRQ is right on the water, just as Venice is. Um, I was, I had unfortunately had to park it outside for a couple of weeks, and was very dismayed when I got back to it at at the condition it was in. There was some fresh corrosion on it. Oh, really? Uh, the, the paint had dulled. Um, all of these things had happened. Now, some of that was just being outside in Florida. But some of it also was being so close to salt water. Yeah. Um, since then, although I was based at Venice, um, it was I was always hangered at Venice. Now, and that seemed to be much better. Um, just the fact of being in a hangar, I didn't oh, get I would imagine, nearly yeah. as much corrosion. But um, um, you, you know, you get what you pay for. Well, a, Com- a Comanche that we looked at before we bought seven three Papa uh, was for sale by a dealer down in Oklahoma. I, th- I think I've talked about this before, and uh, I'll keep I'll keep it short. The airplane had been had spent several years at Peter O'Knight Airport, mm-hmm. right on Tampa Bay, and the extent of corrosion in it was stunning uh the cables in the uh control system uh the uh, chrome and the landing gear struts that were pitted uh the the uh pulleys uh, the the bolts through them had corrosion in them uh it, it was a nightmare it was going to take a huge amount of work to replace all that and fix all the corrosion so living near the coast there's steps owners can take to help preclude that from happening. Uh, you know, annual anti-corrosion treatments would be the big one. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, if it's a coastal airplane anywhere near an ocean, I mean, when I say near an ocean, I'm not talking 
30 miles away like Jeb is. I'm talking like within a couple of miles. Uh, you're apt to see this like Jeb did in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I, I, as we've said this many times in the past, and I'll say it again, I think we're going to hear more about this story as time goes on. Yeah, um, I don't... I don't uh, wings just don't fall off uh, airplanes. That's, that's yeah. not allowed. Yeah. Well, and something to remember <laughs> yeah. here, too. The, the, the airplanes in the Embry-Riddle fleet, uh, like airplanes used in other commercial applications, is subject to 100-hour inspections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would imagine that the airplanes in the Embry-Riddle fleet are going through 100-hour inspections f- with great frequency, <laughs> oh, considering yeah. you know what, what their students yeah. are there to learn to do and how busy they keep their airplanes. Uh, but how hard is it to inspect the spar of the wing? I mean, I, I know you can take those little plates off the, usually the bottom, I guess, but off the wings and skin and, and you know, peek in there somehow, some way. Can you actually get eyeballs on all these parts of the spar? You can't get eyeballs on all of the spar. No. The inspection covers um, will give you access to a lot of the spar. Um, other techniques can be used like, you know, mirrors and, and, uh, uh, things like this. You can stick a, a video camera down in there. You can do all kinds of little things, uh, nowadays that, you know, we might not have had the technology for say, you know, even 10 years ago, but certainly 30 or 40 when these, some of these aircraft were first built. Um, yeah. No, is no is the bottom line answer. However, right. you can right. never inspect every square inch of the spar inside and out. Um, that's just the nature of the way these things are built. Uh, but you can do as 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 uh, this Avweb article is speaking about doing eddy current inspections. You can do dipenetrant inspections, but you still have to have some visual access to the to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Um, yeah, you know, down the road, you know, I, I think of of uh, uh, life limited airplanes. Um, I think you know, aircraft like Cirrus's uh, initially had a uh, a life limit imposed on them, uh, measured in hours, in you know, like five thousand or something like that. There's a, a model of the Beach Baron, uh, the the P fifty eight Baron pressurized Baron, has a life limit of ten thousand hours. Um, and maybe, you know, down the road, we need to think about life, uh, life limits, total airframe hour limits. I don't know. There are inspection tools that let them get at parts that they can't get eyeballs on, even with a mirror. Right. But those involve using, you know, the tools like eddy current inspection mm-hmm. uh, probes that can reach back where you, you can't really see. And the reading on the eddy current uh, probe will tell you whether there's continuity uh, then you got to get at it and look at it and that that's how they found this second crack well i got confirmation of it they they visually found the crack and then they did the eddy current to confirm the procedures and the, the eddy current inspection found the same crack um so they know that the eddy current inspection works uh at least uh, at least on that airplane that that crack so anyway i you know as we've just about exhausted this topic um um 
Yeah, we have. Sorry. <laughs> There's so many trains. I've been muting you guys, or muting me. I'm not muting. I can hear you, basically. But uh, that's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't jump in there because I was waiting for the train to go by. We forgot to call Caltrain. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, okay. I, yeah, we have we have exhausted the subject. Um, uh, so, let's see. Now, what's the next subject here? Um, I don't know. Is this significant? Diesel, uh, Cessna announced that they're ending production of the diesel uh, Skyhawk, um, which... I don't know if that's sad I'll or not. That I mean, by telling you, I'll answer that by telling you I forgot these, that Cessna had a diesel Skyhawk. Yeah, well, apparently way. a lot of people have forgotten. <laughs> um, I, I, this is, I got to figure that this is just plain old. They aren't selling very many of them, and, uh, and so yeah. it's not, not a work, which is too bad. Yeah. Diesel itself may not be you know, the way of the future, but you know, um, alternate engines and alternate fuels obviously are. And uh, I, I always thought this was kind of an interesting I don't know if experiment is the right word, but, you know, whatever it was. Um, well, I mean, there, there haven't been any safety issues, right? These these aircraft work just fine, right? Oh, they work fine. The engines uh, have proven to be durable. Uh, the economics are a little mixed. It's, it's a $60,000 premium to buy a Skyhawk with the 155-horsepower uh, turbo diesel. But you get a range boost of about 50% compared to the uh, gas engine. Uh, and it, it, it's the whole thing, this whole thing about diesels was uh, hot for a while because avgas is so hard to get in some parts of the world, particularly right. Africa, parts of Asia, where diesel mm-hmm. is really easy to get. Yeah. Uh, but Cessna came to the game late after a couple of uh, a couple of uh, third-party operations, uh, STC conversions, and those conversions continue to sell. Yeah. But I don't think the overseas market for diesel-powered airplanes was quite as strong as uh, they expected, particularly in an airplane like a, a Skyhawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's primarily a personal airplane and trainer. And uh, there a lot of them in Africa, uh, but they're not doing the kind of work that some of the bigger piston singles do. And putting diesels in those might have actually been a better option than putting it mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, 172. But the thought was that flight schools would like it because it's so much cheaper to operate when you get when you're burning half the fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so. I think I think this is another area where maybe technology or at least the market has kind of changed the equation. Um, I you know I can't really think of a good reason for uh, in in a utility operation to use a Skyhawk, whether it burns avgas or, or diesel fuel. Um, so I I would think that in a, in a utility operation, you're probably looking at at caravans or you're looking at. Uh, um, old king airs or something like that right that's what uh, i was okay. going to ask both whether of, or not both of which are yeah. going to be burning jet fuel on right. the training end you're probably seeing the demand for skyhawks replaced by the demand for uh, lsa type aircraft that are going to burn regular unleaded uh, and regular unleaded exists uh, uh you know everywhere um so it, it, it's a matter of, okay, well, I can't get avgas, but I've got all this, this unleaded premium laying around here that's powering all the cars in the, in the country. Uh, why not use some of that? 
uh, in mm-hmm. my flight in my flight training operation. I don't know, but I would guess that that's certainly a part of of uh, what's happened here for with demand for diesel powered Skyhawks from the factory. Yeah. How do they work? So on these diesel powered aircraft, um, am I correct? Diesel fuel wants to thicken up when it gets cold, doesn't it? I've heard the word gel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, how did they address the fact that you've got fuel in these tanks at high altitudes where it's fairly cold? What did they do? I don't think Skyhawks get to the kind of altitudes where that's a problem. Oh, okay. But the quick, the quick, one of the quick answers anyway uh, is um, an additive called Prist. Okay. Which yeah. is a, a, an anti-icing additive that I used to to add to uh, to jet fuel, well jet, turbine fuel tanks, jet A tanks um, via a, a spray can. It had a, a clip-on hose that you clip to the the uh, li- literally mm-hmm. clip to the the jet fuel nozzle. And you squeeze the handle on the jet fuel nozzle, and you push down the button on the can at the same time. You need four hands, um, but it's doable. Uh, and that's the way Prist was added back in the day. These days, you can get it pre-mixed, um, or you know, other you know, you know, like a STP fuel treatment uh, thing. You you flop in for X number of gallons. Uh, I'm not sure how it's done. Um, how Prist is added to fuel these days, but that's one of the ways. The other, the other thing is, um, older aircraft, especially, might have fuel heaters on them, or I don't know, maybe maybe newer ones too. Okay. Um, where the the uh, maybe not the tanks, but certainly the lines, and, and maybe the tanks themselves are heated in some fashion mm-hmm. uh, with bleed air or something. Yeah. Well, Jet A Jet A's freezing point is minus forty. Which is the same temperature in Celsius or Fahrenheit. Right, exactly. that's that famous uh, level. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're flying above 30,000 feet, this is an issue. Uh, a lot of airliners have tank heaters. Uh, a lot of business jets have tank heaters because they're going even higher. There, you know, Some of those are going to 510 uh, where it's even colder. Uh, gasoline, on the other hand, it doesn't freeze until you get to minus 70 Fahrenheit. Right. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, moving on here. So a, a TBM Avenger, a Warbird, newly restored um, or repaired or something, um, was being transported uh, from one place to another. Let's see now. Fahrenheit. Uh, Chicago pilot and his passengers survived bailing out of their TBM Avenger on May 7th over northeastern Arizona uh, uh, after an apparent engine failure in the freshly restored where they were ferrying the big single engine. Come on, I just wanted the guts of here. These fancy languages. Um, From Phoenix to Chicago. They were were ferrying it from Phoenix to Chicago when this all happened. Um, And uh, um, apparently the, you know, Big bang kind of thing. Engine, um, you know, either stopped or not developing full power. Um, they're over the middle of nowhere in the mountains, and uh, and they decided that the best thing to do was to bail out of this airplane. And and they did, and they got on the ground. They actually, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, uh, I'm reading from Avweb uh, from a from a print story on Avweb. Uh, apparently, these guys or one of these guys was on 
um, in a podcast that Avweb did as well. And uh, I have not listened to that podcast, but that sounds like an all a pretty interesting story. Yeah, but, that's, uh, how is your day, Mrs. Lincoln? I know, uh, yeah. Um, so they, 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 uh, the uh, pilot in command apparently said, you know, okay, we're out of here. You know, you go first. And the other guy went. And then a few moments later, the pilot uh, uh, then also went out of the plane. And they came down on the ground separately um, and uh, close enough to the world that one of them was able to uh, flag down help and get a vehicle to then come and find the other one or something like that um and uh, interesting story the, the, the part of the, the part of it that struck me um is is boy were they lucky they were wearing parachutes um because it i don't know is it common to be wearing parachutes on this kind of a mission maybe it's the nature of that airplane that you just routinely it, it, wear it, parachutes it's, it's common with warbirds they do they, so they do okay well good obviously um but uh yeah, you got to remember the warbirds that you know World War II warbirds weren't built for longevity. You know the mission expectation on a B twenty nine out of the Army Air Corps was twenty five to thirty missions before it either be shot down or start shot up and scrapped. Mm-hmm. So lifespan on the engines; these things weren't built to be getting two thousand hours between overhauls. Uh, so they do better than that in the restorations. Uh, you know, the uh, they're they're built to better standards. The engines are rebuilt to more modern standards, but nonetheless, it's still a combat aircraft, and uh, parachutes are kind of SOP. Yeah, particularly well, since these guys fly in formation during air shows and such. Right, parachutes right. are mandatory. So Is what's that really the best way? What's the best way to get the parachute from your home base to the air show? Wear the bloody thing. I didn't know that. I, I uh, yeah. Um, but the parachutes wouldn't be all that useful. Hang on, train. Um. <laughs> Can't you hear that lonesome whistle blow? <laughs> I hear the train erupt. See now, I'm sitting here bins. trying to remember what time of day it was. We've because we've recorded from from the Lucky Star Tiki Bar in the past, and although there's been an occasional train going by, not as many as this. So we must not have recorded at seven o'clock in the morning. We must have recorded more like ten or two in the afternoon or something like that. Um, so, anyways, um, 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 parachute, uh, Lucky. What was I going to say? I forget. Now I completely lost not my much train of thought. The you see what I did there? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, David, I'm sorry I stepped on you. Go ahead. Yeah, you were about to say parachutes aren't that much use that close to the ground. But remember, yes. they, they spend more of the flight not close to the ground than they do close to the ground. Oh, uh, okay. All you right. know, they take off. They form up. Uh, they spend some time orbiting to get everybody into formation. And then they're flying at altitudes from 200 feet to uh, seven or 800 feet in multiple layers. Uh, 700 feet is more than enough to make it worth your while. 200 really? feet beats the hell yeah. out of nothing. I guess. I guess. I, you know, I, I, I have to admit, I, have to, I can't help but think that the situation these guys found themselves in, even as dire as it rationally was, um, would have been one of those situations where I'd go, I ain't jumping out of this airplane. You know, this is no, I, I'm not big on jumping out of airplanes under well, any it, circumstance. But I believe it was 84 or 85 at Sun and Fun. There was a... Uh, air show performer flying in a biplane that had 
just come out of rebuild and restoration. It had been recovered. Uh, I believe it went by the name Southern Cross. Anyway, second or third day the guy's doing this routine, the fabric on the upper wing started to depart the aircraft. And he's only about 300 feet off the off the ground in the uh, uh, show pattern. And I watched this guy jump up on the turtle deck of this biplane and pull the ripcord on his parachute. <laughs> and it started to open, and it snatched him off the airplane. He mm-hmm. used that speed to get a full canopy. Now, it wasn't oh, okay. completely inflated when he hit the ground. It broke broke both of his ankles. Mm-hmm. But it got him down alive and short of where the aircraft crashed and burst into flames. Oh, that's very interesting. Is that a is that a known technique, or is that him being clever? Uh, that's a known technique. It's been used mm-hmm. before. Similarly, guys at altitude have been known where they were going faster than they wanted to try to jump out to actually roll the airplane over and just fall out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Moving on here. Uh, that does take some hair, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, David, uh, uh, and I get this email every month, but for some reason it doesn't really catch my attention. But David very dutifully calls our attention to the callback uh, email newsletter every month. or um, And uh, I... I for some reason, happened to actually read through this one more carefully than I usually do, and there's some interesting stories. So, callback is the newsletter from um, from the from NASA's uh, ASRS, the Aviation Safety Reporting System program, uh, where they will highlight and perhaps expand a bit on a few of the notable ASRS uh, submissions that have come into them in the recent past. And uh, let's see now, the one that I guess. The the guy in the Mooney, all right. So, so we got a guy flying a, a Mooney. <laughs> I'm just reading this also. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. we got the guy that, flying. That one made me put it on the on the list again. Yeah, the guy flying his Mooney, um, um, with a with a, a someone else in the right seat, um, and they're flying a mission um, in chase support of an unmanned aerial vehicle, a drone of some sort. Um, and apparently, because of the slow speed of the UAV, they had to fly the Mooney very slow. So they had the Mooney way down in slow flight, um, and as a result, the stall horn is blowing a lot. All right, and so the pilot in command decided that the stall horn was annoying, and so he popped the breaker to make the stall horn stop working. All right, stop making a noise. Which is maybe a bad decision in the first place, but turns out to be a really bad decision because in the process, he apparently also popped the breaker that had to do with lowering the landing gear, okay? And, um, and so, and then forgot. And, and this is where it really gets, you know, this is you know, the, the punchline, as they say. Forgot that he had popped these breakers. Um, and, and then went to return to base and thought they'd lowered the landing gear and and i'm not sure exactly what readouts he theoretically was getting here but according to the way he describes this in his report um thought that the gear was down didn't realize that the gear had not lowered um and oh and by the way and by the way when he popped this breaker to make the stall horn stop he didn't tell his pilot friend in the right seat that he had done this right? he just did this all by himself um 
gear up landing, hilarity ensues. Fortunately, nobody heard, apparently. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I. You know what? I, I suppose... Not necessarily in an airplane, but I've been guilty of doing things where I should have let people know around me what was going on, and I didn't let them know what was going on, and and it it turned out to be, you know, it would have been better if I had if I had told them what was going on, and I didn't. So well, and, and, I don't know if I can he, totally he, he fault pull, this guy. But. He pulled a stallhorn breaker <laughs> because he said it, it was making communications with the crew flying the UAV uh, difficult. Yeah. Which I understand, but this isn't the first time somebody has pulled a stall warning uh, offline because it irritated them. Uh, there was a video a few years ago. I think we even ran it, included it, and talked about it, where these guys are in the pattern and they're getting ready to land, and they pulled the stall horn. They shut it off because it was irritating the crap out of them, and then forgot. When they're in the it, it, in, in the part of the pattern where they're supposed to put the wheels down, they forgot that they'd shut the stall warning horn off. It also shut off the gear warning horn, and boom, gear up landing. It happens yeah. because yeah. of stupid pilot tricks. And yeah. this guy knew he was violating company policy for whom, whomever he was flying for. Broke policy, broke procedure. Well, as good flight judgment, and, and like he says in his uh, in his submission, if he'd have told the guy flying with him, then there would have been two people to blame. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, the there's stall so, warning there's, there's horn is supposed so, to be an, it's supposed yeah, to be annoying. That's the whole point. All right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. There's so much going on here. First of all, who uses a Mooney to track? Uh, to to uh, fly formation I mean, to uh, to observe a that's very a really slow, good point a very yeah. slow moving UAV that's uh, what they had available that, well I get that but but um, so you're making the the aircraft fit the mission um, I get that but if you got to pull the stall warning horn um, you've you've obviously overlooked a few other options. Uh, there's no there's no good reason to be pulling the the, the stall warning breaker, um, especially when it's going off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to do that, and it's it's yeah. first of all as part of the aircraft certification. Um, the only circumstance I think the FAA would want you to be pulling the stall warning circuit breaker is if it's on fire. Um, so, yeah. so pulling yeah. that breaker is technically um, uh, making the aircraft unwor- air- unairworthy. Uh, but putting all of that aside, <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever happened to running, you know, a checklist, or whatever happened to, um, you know, uh, uh, every now and then glancing to make sure all the breakers are, are okay. Um, that's just part of of what you're there for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, uh, he, 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 one thing he got right here, he says, in, in his report, he says, I believe I saw what I expected to see. And that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what he saw when he glanced or, or went to check to make sure the gear was down. He saw what, what he expected to see. He didn't see what was, what was real. Um, so there's three or four jumping off points here on this one. Um, thankfully, no one was injured. 
Yeah. Um, but get a different airplane next time. A bit of, bit of pride, a bit of prop, a bit of belly. Been there, done that. Yeah. The other one that caught my attention here was the one that's labeled is the pilot in command. Um, and and I, I kind of want you guys to educate me, um, and, and quite frankly, particularly Jeb, who's, who's uh, uh, twin a- ATP and twin you know, rated and whatnot. Um, so let me see if I can summarize this. And I really could get this wrong, so stop me if I'm getting it wrong. Um, a check ride is happening in a King Air 250, uh, a, a fairly large-ish or medium-sized-ish twin aircraft. Um, and um, the apparently the FAA inspector is in one of the back seats, and the pilot or pilots being tested are in the front seat, some combination of the front seats. And at some point during the check ride, the inspector wants to check them on a, a, an engine failure, how they react to an engine failure. And so the inspector said the right engine has failed. All right, um, and and that's all the inspector apparently did. And and he, according to the report, expected the pilot or, I guess the submitter here is the person sitting in the right seat, is what it sounds like to me. Um, he writes he expected uh, me to. Uh, to simulate an engine failure, right? Which involves much more than simply lowering the power on the engine, right? It, it, as I understand it, you got to lower it and also feather the prop in a particular way so that you're getting zero drag uh, on that on that engine, all right? So, long story short, um, neither of these two pilots in the front two seats. Uh, they may or may not have been trained on how to recover or how to respond to an engine failure. They did not know how to simulate the engine failure um, yeah. accurately and safely. All right, yeah. and 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 I can totally imagine a situation where their CFIs had always done that part of it. All right, yes, um, yes. You know, the CFI sets the power and whatever controls in order to simulate the failed engine, um, and then the 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 trainee um, or testee in this case um, actually responds to it. Um, so the instructor left it to them. They did it incorrectly, um, got the airplane into a weird situation, which they fortunately recognized eventually and uh, and uh, and recovered from. But they got in deep water for this train coming. I'm going to mute. You guys tell me what you think. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on here also. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, check ride uh, is, is one thing. Um, an instrument proficiency check. Was it an inf- instrument? Pro- yeah, okay, it was. Yes. Um, the examiner. Um, okay, the writing. I guess the examiner is writing in the jump seat. Um, the uh, inspected pilot is is in the left seat. Uh, no, he's in a. The FAA inspector is in a passenger seat. Okay, that makes it even much more better. Um, um, if no one has been trained to do something like this, then they probably shouldn't be doing it. Uh, all the, all the, um, multi-check rides I've had, um, the examiner pulled the engine. He didn't sit there with his arms crossed and say the engine has failed. Um, now in this airplane where there's no jump seat, apparently this is a, uh, um, for this operation, two crew members are required. I think the, the King Air 250 can be flown single pilot, but it sounds like for this operation and this check ride, it's a two-pilot crew. Um, if, well, if, the right seater, yeah, if the right seater hasn't been trained, you can have 135 multi-single um, pilot. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it sounds to me like that's what's going on here. Um, if, if the guy hasn't been trained to, to, to fail the engine and, and the correct procedures, maybe he shouldn't be doing it. Maybe they should have somebody else in the right seat. Well, I would bet money that both of these guys, if they were qualified in the airplane, had been trained on what to do when the engine actually failed. Right. That's the other part. As opposed to simulating one. And piston pilots may not realize this, but turboprop engines generally run at a very narrow RPM band. Mm-hmm. You know, about 2,000 to 2,200 RPM. And all that changes is the torque on the engine, and that changes through the propeller setting. So if you just pull the power back, the, the throttle back, it's not going to drop down to it'll drop down to idle RPM, but idle RPM is still going to be about two thousand. Yeah, and you got that disc of a prop out there not making any thrust. So what's it doing instead? It's creating drag. Yeah, and there's another lever there that you can pull to feather the prop. And some of these PT6s, when the engine fails, it automatically feathers a prop. But this is not one of them. So you got this second lever there to pull to feather the prop so that it's turning edge to the wind. And then your drag is down to practically nothing. And that's not what happened here. So they were in a turn from which they had insufficient rudder to stop. Which, if that lasted for very long, since they were only at 500 feet, could have could could have been an unhappy arrival for all three people on yeah. the airplane. Yeah, two or th- again, two or three things going on. Um, I guess 500 feet is, is it would be a minimum altitude at which I'd want to simulate an, uh, an engine failure. Um, you either do them at that altitude, or you do them on the runway. Um, in this category of airplane, uh, in a transport category airplane, you can have uh, an engine uh, simulated engine failure um, at V two or between VR and V two, um, and still and still climb out in the transport category aircraft. The, the King Air two hundred and fifty is not one of those. So the five hundred foot minimum is is a good place to start, um, but. I guess when you're you've you've supposedly simulated an engine failure and your heading starts wandering around to where ATC is uh, uh, is asking about it, um, then you need to do something else. And I would think right then they busted the check ride, but um, they've certainly got a, a complaint uh, that hey guys we we were never trained to set up zero thrust on this. Um, and I guess that's one of my questions. Would would that bust the check ride on them if if they had stopped at that point and said, "Okay, I can do the I can do the reaction to the engine failure, but I'm not trained to set up the simulation." How bad would that put them in? What bad? You know, would I, that I don't I don't know is the quick answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure that these guys knew how to handle an engine failure and knew how to secure the engine and knew how to fly the airplane on one engine uh, once the zero thrust had been set up. The flip side of that is, you know, it's not rocket science to figure out how to set up zero thrust on these airplanes. Uh, you pull the power back. Apparently, this guy pulled the power back uh, to idle. Right. Or something. And, right. Uh, 
that created uh, flattened the blades and created a lot of drag. When yeah. uh, a, a more a better procedure might have been say you know twenty percent uh, of torque or something uh, to set up the zero thrust kind of condition, but I wouldn't want to f- intentionally fail the engine at five hundred feet. No, I, I could simulate an, a failure. But if I haven't been trained to simulate the failure, then what am I doing on this check ride? <laughs> mm-hmm. And just so you know, folks, just so that you don't think that callback is picking on GA pilots, I encourage you to read the rest of this callback. When yeah, you get to the show notes because the next one is about a CRJ two hundred crew. That's a Bombardier regional airliner. <laughs> yeah. And, did a, and, and, oh, and, that's and, what we did wrong. And, yeah. and, and, was, <laughs> and what they went through after misdiagnosing a strange noise, they proceeded to complicate their lives multiple times <laughs> uh, yep. to the point where they had to divert. <laughs> and yeah. you know, it, it, I'll let it be a surprise to you, but read this I, I, because I'm it reading, could happen I'm to us that too. One, I'm like, oh. Oh, 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 <laughs> So, yeah. Um, Callback is, pre- is, a, is a great publication, and uh, you don't need to rely on us to give you the show notes, although we'll try to. But uh, you can, anybody can subscribe to this thing. Um, I wish I knew the URL here. Um, it's uh, to- asrs.arc.nasa.gov. <laughs> and um, from there, there will be links to Callback. And there's not the other good thing about this site. Um, well, two two other good things about this site. One is they have all of the the previous callback issues archived, and they're all free to access. No worries, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no 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 fuss, no muss. The other thing going on is they have a searchable database. You can you can dive into this. The searchable database consisting of the the kind of reports filed by operators that make it into the callback. Some of them aren't special enough <laughs> to make yeah. it into callback. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, um, if, if you read it, if you follow the link in our show notes to the callback we're quoting from, at the bottom, you'll find a link that says subscribe to callback. Right. Click on it, and it'll yep. take you right to where you sign up. Yep. And it, it's noteworthy here for those that are unfamiliar. All these reports are voluntarily submitted uh-huh. by pilots, mechanics, flight attendants, air traffic controllers. And the forms that you can get from ASRS is worth carrying in your flight bag or in a pocket with your electronic flight bag. Because if you self-report something that could be a violation... You could get a get out of jail free card good for two years on that particular violation. Yeah, and that's yeah. absolutely worth the weight of the paper more than the weight of the paper you got to yeah. carry around. Alternately, you just carry the link to the site on your phone. Yeah, right. Yeah, and not only do you potentially get a get out of jail free jail is too strong a word, but you get the point. Um, it, it, it's valuable information. I mean, this is good that we're sharing this to to learn from each other's mistakes and. And, and whatnot. So uh, callback, uh, the ASRS system is a, is a, is a yeah, great what, program. What, and, what uh, makes it, I think, really important is that it comes from the people who experienced it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, hey, uh, you know, short list, long show. Um, we are reaching the end of our allotted time here. Uh, so... Uh, 
Uh, let's see. And 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 I don't know what's going to happen here because we actually have no shout-outs on the list. I don't know if you guys have any impromptu shout-outs. Um, do you? I don't know. Or are we done? Is it fork time? I think it's um, hang on a second. fork time. Hang on a second. Hang on. Let Jeb think. He's pondering. It's almost like a train noise. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not. It, <laughs> what's the what's the uh, the music they played on? Was it a match game or something like that? Do uh, do do. Yeah. Do. That's, that's Jeopardy. Yeah, Jeopardy. That's right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I I don't have anything worth. You got off. nothing. You got, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. Okay. My I, I'll I'll an ad an, an ad lib ad hoc shout out. Ooh ooh. Okay. Mo- go ahead. Memorial Day is coming up, folks. Remember our veterans. Remember those who sacrificed in, in the name of our country. Put a flag on a grave. Put a put 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 some uh, money into a veterans organization. Go to a veterans uh, Memorial Day parade. Put your hand over your heart and salute the people that served. No joke. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, fork time. We'll put a fork in this one. Um, the, first of all, I want to thank. Uh, so Will is still sitting next to me. Unfortunately, he's not hearing. He's only hearing my voice, so he doesn't know what we've been talking about. And uh, I, I don't know if it's good or bad that every now and then he chuckles at something he hears because he's only hearing half. But, uh, anyways, um, th- a big thank you to uh, Will and Cat uh, for uh, for he's 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 acknowledging uh, for hosting me here and for letting us record from his. Uh, from his old train station, I mean Tiki Bar, and uh, and uh, um, uh, it's 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 always a blast. Uh, if you're if you're ever if you ever have the opportunity to, and I and we talk about the Lucky Star Tiki Bar. The Lucky Star Tiki Bar, by the way, is not a, a public commercial enterprise. So sadly, um, most people um, uh, will never have an opportunity to visit here. But they are so hospitable, and uh, um, and uh, you know if if you know Will and he ever invites you to the Tiki Bar. You you should say yes because it's a blast. It's just a lot of fun here. Thank you, Will. I appreciate it both Good for time. the uh, yeah, uh, and thank you to my two good friends here uh, in the virtual ha- hangar. Uh, Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what you been working on? Uh, the July issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting cranked up for it. Uh, looking at uh, uh, several good articles. Um, Trying to decide which ones I want to run this month, so, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, you're, you, I'll let you know as soon as I know, kind of thing. Yeah, I know. Well, that sounds like a good problem to <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah, it is. A, it's a great problem to have, and yeah. uh, looking forward to uh, to fixing all that. Uh, then I'm headed out on a road trip, um, and uh, then I come back in June. Yeah, and, you're going uh, to another <clears> one of your exotic destinations, right? You're going well, to Kathmandu not, or something like that. Uh, Where are you I'm going? going to Geneva. Oh Geneva! Well, yeah, Geneva is kind of exotic. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's, 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 it's yeah. more exotic than than Central Florida. Yeah, yeah. Florida. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, there you go. Uh, yeah. But, okay. Uh, um, uh, great. And yeah. So, where, Jeb? Where can people find out um, about you and all these things on the internet? Y- yeah, um, aviationsafetymagazine dot com, um, uh, The uh, I guess June issue of. Um, uh, the AEA's uh, Avionics News Magazine will have uh, some stories in it that I wrote about their annual meeting uh, back in March. Uh, so I'm glad to, glad to get all that filed and, and uh, off my desk. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing how they treat it. Um, 
So there's uh, AEA.net for the Aircraft Electronics Association and uh, Avionics News. And, you know, there's stuff I've done for, for AvWeb, uh, General Aviation News that are still out there. And who knows, mm-hmm. there might be more. Yeah. And on Twitter, you are? The, uh, uh, what am I? Burnside J. Burnside I, J. I was about to give you my alter ego. Ooh, okay. Well, oh, okay. So there's, oh, we'll have to work on that one in the future. Thank you, Jeb. Appreciate no, it. No, 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 no. What, 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 what? No, 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 no. Oh, you're, we're not going to get your alter ego. Okay. No, right, you're not well. going to get my alter ego. Okay. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, uh, got a piece in this month's Ab Buyer magazine uh, looking at uh, five chips for flying in Europe. Uh, for those of you that may get across the pond, and I know more than a few GA pilots that that have made that trek across the North Atlantic just for the experience of flying their little airplane in Europe. So, uh, And uh, have a piece on uh, avbuyer.com, my weekly blog that uh, uh, talks about the uh, possibility of us getting a multi-year FAA reauthorization. Uh, still in progress, still not done, but it's still looking good. Sounds good. And where can people find you and all this stuff on the Internet? Avbuyer.com for my work for that magazine and my weekly blog, business aviation blog. AEA.net for my work on Avionics News Magazine. And uh, uh, just do a Google search and throw a dart at the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine. And Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, I'm out here in California, actually, to attend the uh, Bay Area Makers Fair, um, which is the big uh, flagship uh, um, um, exhibition for the uh, maker community, which is something that I'm just really fascinated by. And uh, um, uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that on, on upcoming Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and I'm going to be uh, trying to post. I'll be shooting some video and posting some Twitter stuff about that. So if you're interested, you could follow me on Twitter um, or on my YouTube channel. Um, I just... Um, so I continue to trickle out the uh, videos that I shot at uh, Sun and Fun and some other ones. Um, and we just recently cl- uh, flipped over the, uh, the the short video that was sort of a behind-the-scenes look at us recording the UCAP Daily Alpha from Sun and Fun, which was exclusive to uh, Patreon uh, members only for about a month, um, recently went public. And so if you're interested, you could take a look at uh, Dave and Amy and I recording one of the dailies from Sun and Fun. That's on my YouTube channel. Um, there's another train coming. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pause here and magically make the train noise go away. Stand by, everybody. So uh, on Twitter, I am uh, Jack Hodgson. Uh, my name, uh, all one word, no spaces or dashes or underscores. Uh, on YouTube, I'm also Jack Hodgson. Uh, it's uh, YouTube.com/slash/user/slash/JackHodgson, uh, um, and. Uh, um, check me out there. Um, I For years I've been touting, or a couple of years anyways, I've been touting my email newsletter um, and encouraging people to sign up for that. Uh, in the last month or so, I've actually started sending out such an email newsletter. Um, so uh, if you're you're at all interested in, uh, in getting a roughly weekly summary of the things that I'm working on and the things that I've posted, both UCAP and others, um, you could subscribe to my email newsletter. Do that by going to uh, my homepage, jackhodgson.com, and there's a link there. Take you to the place where you can sign up for that. Uh, uh, otherwise, just check out uh, uh, jackhodgson.com, which is my primary uh, uh, 
presence on the web. And um, of course, my ebooks are available through Amazon. If you search in Amazon um, for Around the Field in the books section, that's there too. Uh, anyways, that's enough. Hey, uh, David, was there something you were going to tell us? <laughs> Key to long life? Aviation, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Are we ever going to do an episode again without the train? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>